Well, our our message this morning very helpfully comes from the passage that we've just been reading. Uh, You know, you could call that expert planning or uh, just the faithfulness of God. I'll find out from our service leader after the service, which it is, we'll not out him in public. But uh, this morning, as we consider this passage from Luke 2, verse 1 to 7, I think this is a a great story. In fact, this story encompasses so much, so quickly, it sometimes feels like a children's bedtime story, you know, when you're trying to give them the short version to get them to go to sleep quickly. I'm going to do my best not to help you go to sleep quickly this morning, Uh, but instead, perhaps you just give me your attention for a few moments as we share our message this morning. We've heard it read, so I'll not read it again, but if you want to be reading along in your Bibles, I think every good sermon is very text-led, text-driven, we tend to say, and so that's Luke 2, verses 1 through 7, and um, the passage ends, because there was no room for them in the inn, and so rather unimaginatively, my sermon title this morning is, No Room at the Inn. I want to talk to you about a couple of things this morning. There's so much in this passage, I'm not going to be able to do it justice, I fear. But uh, I just wanted to highlight the natural, the supernatural, and the humble. The natural, the supernatural, and the humble. First, let me just highlight to you a couple of things from this story that I think are so important. In fact, I would really just commend these three thoughts to you, the natural, the supernatural, and the humble, in light of the Christmas story this year, as something that you meditate on. I think that there's great significance in these three aspects to the Christmas narrative. So first of all, the natural. Jesus is born. In fact, the passage here, rather wonderfully, summarizes that whole process in these words. The days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son. Now, I don't have any kids yet, and uh, as a man, perhaps you feel I'm less qualified than some of the ladies in the room to comment on this, But from my admittedly limited knowledge, I'm given to believe that there's a bit more to this process than the time passes and, (laughs) da-da, a child is born. (laughs) In fact, for Jesus to be born is really significant for us because it's in Jesus being born that he is the perfect sacrifice for us. He has to be born fully man. He has to be a human. He has to be flesh and blood. Just like you, just like me, he has to be born. And so I think it's fair to imagine that there's probably some pain, screaming, blood, pushing. Jesus has brought it forth into the world. And God says of Mary that she's highly favoured. And I think that, again, is significant because we need to remember who Jesus is. Jesus is God's son. And it's because he's God's son, but because he's born as a man, 
That supernatural and the natural coming together is so important in our understanding of who Jesus is. Born to Mary as a baby, God made flesh. And I could spend a lot of time digging around in some really deep theology, teaching you some theological terms for that process of God and flesh coming together. But actually, what I want to do is just highlight the simplicity of that truth, that God is coming and God is born of a virgin, but born, born of flesh and blood. Sometimes we hear these amazing Christmas carols. I'm sure we're going to hear some before the year is out. They sound more like yogurt adverts than they do a child being born. You know, they're full of skipping and jogging and tennis rather than the the reality. We hear bizarre things said about Jesus. You know, no crying he makes because apparently to be a perfect baby you mustn't cry. That he's just this kind of sweet, heavenly child that is totally unlike any other child that we've ever seen or heard before. And I think that we need to remember that Jesus is every bit as human as us. You know, that's what makes him the perfect sacrifice in our place. That he is fully human. He's able to live a perfect life because he's fully divine. But he's equally fully human. And so while our carols might have some peculiar ideas about how Jesus enters the world, how he doesn't cry, how he's this perfect, sweet, kind of angelic child that doesn't have any problems, doesn't need his nappy changed, doesn't spit up, doesn't cry. It's all a bit bizarre. But I want to highlight to you that, you know, Jesus is born. Jesus experiences being born and experiences childhood and adolescence and all of those life stages that we go through just as we have done. So this morning, if you're struggling, if you're thinking, oh, Lord, I don't know if you know what this feels like. I think he does. I really believe that Jesus knows exactly what it feels like to live and breathe and be And go through all of those experiences that we go through as people. As we think about the natural world, I want to just throw some greater context into light here. The Roman Empire is probably at its greatest point. People make a big deal of this. In fact, they say, Teram Orbis Imperium which means the empire of the whole earth. You know, this is the first time that the empire has been this big. It's the first time in the natural world that you can get from Britain all the way to the other side of the planet, pretty much. And the message of Jesus is about to go out into all the world. But the Roman Empire had to be at its height for that to be possible first. And so we see Jesus born into Bethlehem, Some scholars say this signifies the house of bread. Can you think of a more proper place for him who is going to be the bread of life to be born than Bethlehem? And he comes down to heaven, down from heaven to Bethlehem, 
which was the city of David. And so this supernatural thing is happening. Bethlehem, the city of David, where he must be born to fulfill prophecies about Jesus being born, could have been born in two places, scholars comment. Could have been born in Zion, could have been born in Bethlehem. Zion, where David ruled and everybody knew him as a a ruler, or Bethlehem, where shepherds come from, where lowly things come from, not at the pinnacle, but instead in meekness, Jesus enters the world to a part of the world that is best known for shepherds. And again, how appropriate that our over-shepherd, the first shepherd in all of Christendom, would come from a place known for shepherds. You see, the imagery in this passage is just layer upon layer deep. And so we find Jesus born, fulfilling the words of Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem, Arapha, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Can you think of anyone with more ancient times than God? <laughs> origins in God and can I just say I'm constantly amazed how God manages to get us to be where we need to be when he needs us to be there now I know some of you are well churched I'm about as well churched as they come I'm a church kid my grandparents were missionaries my parents helped plant a church I mean you don't get much more churchy than this and having grown up in the church People talk about these moments as not coincidences, but God incidences. You know, sometimes things happen in our lives, in our world, that just seem such an amazing coincidence. An improbable coincidence. Have you had one of these moments, an improbable coincidence? C.S. Lewis used to talk about this and he would say how easy it becomes for us to explain away the supernatural as possible or likely to have happened but something that seemed totally improbable to us that we prayed about and then happens I think is a wonderful opportunity to observe our loving heavenly father at work in our lives. Let's not lose sight of the supernatural in our everyday lives because it's so easy to lose sight of God at work in our hearts, in our homes, in our church, in our community. Because if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we're going to just say, oh, that's a wonderful coincidence. Oh, that's great that that worked out that way. And we're going to rob God of the glory he deserves. You know, I think the supernatural power of God doesn't invade our natural world, but inhabits every part of who we are and the world that he made and lives in us when we choose to follow Christ. And when I'm talking about the supernatural power of God, I guess what I'm saying is I believe that the Holy Spirit is in the world. I believe he's in the church. I believe he's in our hearts when we choose to follow Christ. And that if we lose sight of the person and work of the Holy Spirit in and around us, we lose some revelation of who God is. You see, God the Father makes this amazing plan, and we're hearing about that amazing plan this morning. 
God's amazing rescue story for all of mankind, all of humanity, that starts in a lowly stable. And if we lose sight of this story, if, we, if it all just becomes tradition and familiarity, we run the risk of becoming complacent. And when we become complacent, we lose touch with our convictions. And when we lose touch with our convictions, we stop living for Jesus. I guess what I'm saying is, I think we need to humble ourselves. We can humble ourselves so easily this Christmas. This doesn't have to be a great challenge to you. I don't think this is a negative. I think this is actually a wonderful gift from God. When we look at this story, this story is full of humility. You see, Jesus doesn't come to us born into this pretty little nativity scene we have before us. I mean, this is a great illustration, isn't it? We put out our nativities, we design great graphics and use them in various ways and you know, people make these things and, and they're brilliant. They're really helpful. We enjoy them. You've probably seen a Christmas card or two with a nativity on. Here we've got a great nativity scene. But I think the reality was more humble than we sometimes imagine. First, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, not Zion. Could have been born in a palace, comes to be born in a stable. So I think that is the illustration to us. That's a great lesson to us. Jesus, who could have been born to anyone at any time in any place, comes in the most humble of circumstances. I think we look at this scene and we see mum and dad gazing in. You know, Mary and Joseph here, God kind of looking over it all. Beautiful big star over the top of that. Like, we keep trying to make this into a Hallmark movie, and it's not. We've got very smart-looking animals in our nativity here. I mean, the, the wise men are a bit early for this week, but we'll forgive them that. Have you seen the state of our shepherds? Have you ever met a shepherd? Have you ever seen a shepherd wearing white robes? Does anyone have any kind of problems with any of this? Is it just me? Am I being the killjoy? Am I spoiling Christmas? <laughs> And we'll, we'll set aside the lamb for, for good measure as well. I mean, I'm not sure if you're aware, but this is the wrong time of year for lambs. I guess what I'm saying is this scene probably happened in more of a, a cave than a, a wooden built structure with fairy lights strung through it. It's probably less like this. It's probably more like a grubby, mucky, animal-filled... You know, all this nonsense about the cattle are lowing. <laughs> We've made Christmas into this beautiful piece of imagery. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. The magic of Christmas, I think, is a wonderful gift. But actually, I think the reality is so much more humble than even this humble picture. And you might be thinking, well... So, <laughs> so what? And I just want to remind you that actually none of us would choose to have our children 
this way. I don't know anyone who phones the local farm and asks if they can have a stable or a shed rather than going to the hospital, do you? We would worry about that person, let's be honest. (laughs) But this is what was available. The fact that it fulfills all of these amazing prophecies, the fact that it fulfills God's master plan, The fact that the supernatural is surrounding this story and it just becomes so familiar. Let's not lose sight of God at work in this story. That Jesus' strength, God's promise fulfilled in the form of a baby. When you think of God's strength, do you think of newborn babies? Perhaps we should. And Jesus, who could have at any point called down heaven's armies to defend him, who could have elevated himself from this position, could have had himself rescued from the very cross itself, chooses to come into the world, experience life, live a life just like us, and in doing so become the perfect example of God's best for us, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I think that that is an amazing message. I think it's more amazing than Christmas movies and snazzy jumpers. I think it's more amazing than children's craft events, which was great, actually. We had a bunch of new people. But it's so easy to lose sight of the real Christmas story. It's so easy to lose sight of the fact that strength is for service and not for status. Because Jesus illustrates beautifully for us what coming as a servant king looks like. And who amongst us, who amongst us deserves any more than our servant king? One last thought for you. I was commenting on this with somebody just as we started the service. We were commenting on taxes. And, uh, you know, they say in life there are two things that are certain, death and taxes. And, you know, Jesus' life starts because they're conducting this census. Most people agree they're conducting the census of the whole Roman world so that they can make sure that they're getting the right amount of money in tax. So Jesus, as he enters the world, how humble is this? How humble is this? Jesus is born, not in the town where he's going to live and grow up, but the town that he's been made to go to by another kingdom, by another king, another empire, commanding his parents where they need to be. And God... I believe knew all of this because I think God knows everything. I think he's all-seeing, all-knowing, and all-powerful. And so God knew that his son, that Jesus was going to be born, and he wasn't going to be even born at home in humble surroundings there. Because Mary and Joseph 
aren't super wealthy. I know you might be thinking perhaps they are because they're born of the house and lineage of David. They're not super wealthy. Joseph's got a really ordinary job. They're living normal lives. And so as they're living their lives, as they're doing their part in this story, I think the really amazing, humble thing is that Jesus' parents are being pulled from pillar to post to make sure they're in the right place so that they pay the right amount of tax. And so Jesus is born and placed in a manger. And you know, this is a rather attractive little manger. I've got a dog. His dog bowl does not look as smart as this manger. Now, just work with me here for a moment and translate that into cattle. Do you think cattle leave a beautiful little handmade wooden crib in this kind of condition if they've been using it as their dinner plate? You know, everything about this story is full of humility. It's full of the natural, the ordinary, the normal. And it's full of the supernatural, God at work, God's preordained purpose, coming good for our sake. And so I have this one simple question for you this morning. Is there room in your heart for Jesus? Is there room in your heart for Jesus? You know, it's a simple question, and please don't rush to answer it. The answer will be more profound the longer you spend considering it. If you really engage with it. It's so easy to say yes and not mean it, or to not live it out. And we live in an age of easy yeses. But Jesus, yes, Jesus, yes, was so costly to him. Coming and being born, living a life as a man, God made flesh, dying on a cross. Jesus pours himself out for us. He serves us. He dies for us. He is the perfect example to us. And one final observation. You know, Jesus is born into an inn. Not into a great family home. Not a cosy little somewhere. Not a palace. Not a temple. These are places you might expect the king of heaven and earth to be born. A temple or a palace, right? But no, Jesus is born. Jesus enters the world in accommodation that we, we wouldn't really think fit for a child, any child, let alone the king of heaven and earth. And there's no room for him at the inn, he who is going to make room in his kingdom for all of us. And so my question to you this morning is, is there room in your heart for Jesus? Christmas time is busy. Life is busy. 
work, children, grandchildren, husbands, wives, friends, family, near and far. It's so easy to just get swept along in the busyness of it all. And so I commend to you this question. Is there room in my heart for Jesus? You know, he comes and he makes his home here on earth. He lives a life so that he can die in our place. And just as Jesus welcomes us into his home, we've got the opportunity to welcome him into our hearts. And you know, he does all of this. He comes, he lives, he dies, he serves, so that we can have a relationship with him and he with us. I think this Christmas story is all the more magical when we understand it deeply. The more we think on it, the more we hear it, the fuller our understanding of exactly the imagery that we see in this story, the more the wonder of God's gift to us in giving as Jesus comes home to us. I'd just like to pray a really simple prayer. And if you want to join in, just say amen. And, um, you know, no pressure. Father God, we pray that you would help us to consider this question. Is there room in our hearts, room in our lives for Jesus? Are we living his way? Are we putting him first? Are we doing what he calls us to do? Father, help us to really consider this question. Help us to think deeply about it and the significance of it. Your kingdom come, we pray. Your will be done. In our hearts, our homes, our Christmas. In Jesus' name. Amen.